This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. From MPB Think Radio, this is Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotter-Janderson, president of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. They're both chartered financial analysts. Ryder holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. We throw around financial terms on Money Talks, and maybe you're familiar with them, or maybe you're not. We'll talk today about some vocabulary that's good to know. Here's your chance to ask about a term you may have heard but are unfamiliar with its meaning. We can also take questions that relate to your personal finance. Contact us by email. The address, it's money at mpbonline.org. So good morning. I think I'd like to start off our money news in the news. And I think it was uh, last week or the week before I was talking about uh, tax returns and that I had uh, done the paper route for my state return for the first time in a long time. And I'd asked about money orders. And I was wondering how you ever knew whether your uh, return got accepted or not. And I found the simple way is you accidentally pay more than you owe by one dollar so that Uh-oh. the state of mississippi mails you a one dollar refund oh that's such a good <laughs> idea that's there we go now we know how to track your money order <laughs> of course if somebody you know if somebody else got it you'd, you'd never know would you <laughs> so i got it in the mail and at first i was like oh i got something from you know but then i'm like wait this looks like one of those little checks and sure enough it was for one dollar so i think if i owed 21 and had paid 22 something like that so Uh, So good morning, Nancy. We'll start with you. What financial news is on your mind? Oh, well, my goodness. I am the Uber uh, streamer in my house, and so I've been paying attention to Netflix. And uh, Netflix started the year at nearly $600 a share. It's now sitting at about $200 a share. Um, Huge drop, and much of that happened in the last week. It lost about half of its value. And it reminds me of the um, idea we teach in business school of blue ocean and red ocean. So Netflix was on the blue ocean for a while when they were uh, at times the only game in town or the main game in town, floating on the blue ocean. Everything was great. They were raking in the profits. And suddenly we have all kinds of other streaming services that come along. That's when the sharks hit the water and the ocean turns red. So now they're in a much more competitive environment. And the question is, you know, for investors with this huge drop, is it a good time to buy? Well, you really just need to go back and look at the fundamentals of the company. Um, The price now at $200 a share, is that really the value? Or are investors overreacting, as they often do? So sometimes it is a good time to jump in. uh, But, again, you go back and take a second look at the company. But, you know, for Netflix subscribers, they're asking the questions about whether they should pay those increased monthly rates or go on to other services. So, Nancy, what do you make? So, be, being the the queen of streaming, uh, what do yes. you make of the recent news with the CNN app kind of folding after only a few weeks? There have been some other half baked or well since failed launches of streaming services. Is is the is the is that pie the streaming pie getting any bigger? Is it as big as it's going to get? Uh, who's What's that look like in the future? Well, I I think everyone is going in that direction. And for anyone who uses those services, you know, what happened at my house is we kept adding on because we need to watch this show or there's another show on another service. And so you begin to start looking at how much you're paying for that. 
And if it's a small amount, for instance, with Apple, it's four ninety nine a month. Um, it, that's a smaller amount. I'm more willing to go in that direction. Um, but if I start to add on, you have to show me you're adding value, that I'm really going to be watching those services. And the other thing that we've done is we will jump on a service until we've binge watched the show and then jump back off again. So um, it's just much more competitive right now. Interesting. It's uh, also the timing of this is kind of funny because I've for many years resisted cutting the cable because I was happy with my cable. And then <clears throat> here's a surprise. I actually looked at my bill once and thought, oh, my gosh, look how much I'm paying. Yeah. And so I finally did it this uh, last month. Uh, I, I, I got rid of my AT&T U-verse TV service. And now there's all these reports about, oh, it's the end of streaming as we know. And I thought, well, yeah. gee, just, just oh, my no. luck. <laughs> Are you gonna Are you gonna rebuild the same cost by assembling all sorts of other streaming services? That that's that's always been kind of a question with streaming, though, hasn't it? Well, and that's as Nancy just referenced. That's one thing that I really wanted to make sure because I, I thought of the same thing. I thought, well, I'm getting Hulu, which is about half of what I was paying uh, AT and T for TV service. But then I thought, oh, I'll add this and I'll add that and I'll add this. And then I thought to myself, well, no, then you're going to build back up to where you're going to be paying exactly the same amount. But for at least for me, I've discovered with Hulu, and then I've got. Uh, a Roku Fire Stick or a Roku Stick and a Fire Stick. To me, there's enough without adding any of the. I've, I have. I'm a Prime, so I, you know, Amazon Prime. But to me, the basic stuff that you get with Hulu um, is 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 enough. I know I've got the the Disney bundle, so if need be, I can rewatch every Marvel movie that's ever been, which would take <laughs> yeah. several weeks, I think. You, but. Got, you got to have those important <laughs> things. So. Well, and don't forget to have an antenna, you know, because that is. That's just a free uh, over-the-air service, and you can get just a great antenna these days. And you can watch MPB TV. Yes, you can. Well, that's a good point, Nancy. Because it, it, uh, you know, with a with a, a, an expensive HD antenna, uh, you can pick up all the local stations, and they all have the dot two, three, and four, where you get all those crazy, you know, nostalgia channels and that sort of thing. And for an old guy like me, it's like, oh yeah, I remember watching that back in the seventies. Let me watch that again. So you know. Uh, then you see the uh, all the um, the Medicare uh, Part C uh, commercials for it too. With there, all, there, it's like there he, you go. Jimmy Walker looks a whole lot worse than I aged a heck of a lot better than he did. But anyway, uh, well, right. here's here's what's bugging me is that now the streaming services make you pay and you still have to watch ads. That's true. Yes, yeah, a lot of them do. And I, you, I noticed that with Spotify the other day, just way more ads than I would have expected. Although it's interesting because um, the, the other thing is, I think it was I, an a, I was watching an A and E stream thing, and what was annoying to me was I was sort of in the kitchen, and all of a sudden I noticed that there was nothing playing anymore, and they had this some sort of interactive ad that you have to then click on something to play the ad, and I thought, well, that's just annoying, and it does seem to me that different services and different channels and that sort of thing have different they handle the ads in a different way. But you're right, Nancy, we, we still have to suffer through them. So. Uh, Ryder, what's on your mind this morning? So uh, another a single stock news. We mentioned a couple weeks ago that Elon Musk had taken a large stake and then offered to purchase the entire company, Twitter, uh, the social, fairly popular social media platform. Actually, one of the less popular ones, but one of maybe the more influential ones. 
and he first took a stake saying he wasn't going to get too involved, and then he decided he was going to take it over, which is uh, very involved, uh, saying that he wanted to kind of preserve it as a place where people could come, a, a haven for free speech, which is a lot of things people have talked about. Twitter is a kind of a, a, a large common space. It is a large town hall. We can all join in. We can all participate. It's very interesting in that way. I was a little skeptical at first, but he did get funding. He, uh, Morgan Stanley, I believe, is the bank that helped pull together a lot of money, uh, some outside investment, some bonds, et cetera, to help fund that. And the Twitter board did accept his offer, I kind of uh, surprisingly quickly, with no, no, no big. No, no negotiation, which I, th- I found a little weird. So that now goes to the shareholders for a vote. Of course, there's you know a few technical hurdles. You know, anyone can you know if any of this falls falls apart. But for the most part, that's what it looks like is happening. Elon Musk is going to own Twitter. I uh, don't know what that means for the operations or how it works, but it's he's going to be paying a lot in interest, and he's got to make money off of it to pay those loans. So that will be interesting to see. I know a lot of people have had a lot of ideas about how to turn that platform around, and it's just been a struggle for a long time. Well, Ryder, um, this is all part of that process of going private. Can yes. you explain that to our listeners? Yes. Yeah, so going private, I mean, it's the opposite of going public. So a publicly traded company, of course, is one that trades on one of the stock exchanges or one that any American investor can can access, uh, can purchase shares in and participate in. And that's what shareholding is. It's owning a public company. So going private, there are large private companies where uh, people can't buy their shares. Uh thinking of something like Coke Foods or something, because I'm thinking they're uh, involved with the uh, some industries here in, in, the, in Mississippi. So when somebody offers to buy all of the shares, they want to take it away from the investing public. So generally speaking, you open up to the investing public because you want to access their money, but also there are some benefits to having all of the input of the hundreds and thousands and millions of different owners. People say that makes a discipline in the board that they really focus on the long-term growth of the company because they are managing it on behalf of all of these owners. So you have a little different incentives when there is a single owner. Uh, certainly, he he may not have as good access to funding like he used to, uh, like Twitter used to, or, or like his other company, Tesla, has fantastic access to capital markets because it's publicly traded. It's very highly valued, so it's very easy for him to get money from the general public, from banks, etc. for this. That'll be a little different when it's private because it'll just be harder for people to tell what the true value is. And, of course, he he will be the only one that the board is responsible to, or he and what other other shareholders are remaining. So they'll be responsible to him, and that just may create different incentives. So that's just going to be interesting to see. Do the shareholders have to give up their shares? Yes. If, if, if it does go private, then yes, they will be bought. At some point, even if you disagree with it, uh, if, if the majority of the shareholders vote to be taken private, then at some point 
the shares will be purchased. If you have it in a brokerage account, you have it in your IRA or what have you, then one day you will have a share of Twitter, and then the next day you will have, I believe it's $54.20 is where the offer was. Okay, so you uh, the the, per- the person who's buying the company says, I will buy the shares at this price. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so, again, the board of directors, I guess, is who represents the shareholders, and they are the ones that make the decision? So they made the decision to recommend that the shareholders vote yes on this. But generally speaking, yes, they're the ones making the decisions on behalf of the shareholders to pass on to the management of the company. If you have a question for our experts, send an email to money at mpbonline.org. We're learning financial vocabulary that's good to know today. What's a good website for consumer education? We'll have that for you next. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. presented on Money Talks is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information presented does not create any type of relationship between the hosts and guests and the listening audience. Please consult a financial advisor or any other qualified professional for guidance about your personal finance questions. drive a vehicle then you'll find autocorrect helpful especially on coach charlie's tip of the week listen to our podcast with me coach charlie melton on any podcasting platform or on the mpb public media app when you look at your vehicle think of mpb need to get rid of your ride donate it by calling 877 mpb the number four car Need to have some work done on your truck? Listen to AutoCorrect Thursdays at 10, Saturdays at 11. An MPB license plate reminds you that MPB is with you wherever you go. Go to your county office and ask for an MPB car tag. MPB and cars, better together. You're listening to Money Talks. Our website, moneytalks.mpbonline.org, is one way to hear past Money Talks broadcasts. You can also download the MPB Public Media app and listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives and Ryder Taft portfolio manager at New Perspectives. An official website of the United States government is consumerfinance.com. I'm sorry, consumerfinance.gov. It's part of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. You can click on their Consumer Education tab to learn more about money topics. We're learning today some financial terms that uh, you may have heard but might not understand. And we're going to start at the beginning of the alphabet. Let's go with APR. Who wants to take that one? 
I'll take this one. Go ahead. Um, so hold on just a moment. I've got some feedback going on here. Bear with me. Bear with me. She has to mute her Skype. If you would mute your Skype, Nancy, I think that'll solve the problem. It is. It is. Well, turn off her volume. Turn turn off her volume on her Skype. Oh, turn down the volume on Skype is what our producer Liz Gill is saying. In the meantime, let's let Ryder take APR. Sorry about that. Uh, APR, I win by default. Fantastic. Uh, so annual percentage rate. So when you are looking at an interest rate, that it can be expressed kind of in any way. Usually people express it as an annual percentage rate, but that makes it uh, – uh, comparable across different loans you may be looking at. Some may quote, oh, it's X interest in this period, or if it's simple interest versus compound interest, it will ultimately end up being a slightly different APR. So annual percentage rate, when you're looking at a loan, when you're looking at a savings account, that's what you're looking at. Also, I guess credit cards is where a lot of people might Absolutely. come across that term. Absolutely. Credit cards, credit cards, mortgages, student loans, anything like that. All right. Um, what about uh, Blue Book value? So Blue Book value, I think a lot of people might be familiar with this. I feel like this one should have come up on autocorrect. Are they doing, a, are they doing an alphabet episode today as well? Um, so <laughs> the Blue Book value, of course, is the Kelly Blue Book, it's where used car, new and used car prices are reported to Kelly Blue Book, and they publish those. They kind of compile and publish those so that people know, have a good idea what their car is worth. Of course, with a used car, there are so many factors and of course how old it is the condition it is what features were on the car to start with uh, of course i mentioned the condition but there's a million different things with the condition but also there's geographic factors so Things like a pickup truck may be more in demand in the rural south than it is in New York City, for instance. So their geographic and, and it's and it's it takes it takes a lot of time and money and effort to move a truck from one market to another. So cars are typically sold in a fairly small range from where they are uh, to start with. So the Kelly Blue Book has all sorts of ways of looking at that. Of course, if you are an, uh, a car dealer, there are some other ways to access that and there's some more detailed information you get but the kelly blue book is basically just the reporting system or a reporting system for all of those uh car prices so that people can understand what they're getting what they should charge and that's what people base car prices on and and nancy i guess blue book applies to both buying and selling cars well, it does, and uh, usually people will look that up and use that as a baseline, uh, but again, that's just a baseline. It will be based on whether something uh, is in good condition or poor condition, um, and so it's just, a, again, a starting point. And this is one of the kind of interesting things. The Blue Book is, is a data source. It just kind of reports the facts, but, of course, it can impact what people are doing. People will say, oh, the price of this car is is slightly higher. Maybe I'll try even to get an even higher price. So it, it does impact behavior. But this is one of the things where markets are super important in this country. And so we we always talk about the stock market, and this is a, that's a great uh, – 
image of a market because people are buying and selling all the time and you have perfect information about these prices. If you need the stock price for any stock during the day, you can go find it exactly down to the penny what it's trading for that moment. The things like real estate, we look at comparable houses in the neighborhood, and that's really difficult to truly compare them. Cars are maybe a little more, you could think of them as a little more liquid. They're a little more interchangeable because, of course, one Ford Explorer is the same as another Ford. Do they still make the Ford Explorer? I can't remember. Yes, they do. Okay. Um, so, one, I should have gone with one Ford F-150, the most popular vehicle in America, is pretty much the same as another another one of a similar year and a similar kit and a similar uh, condition. So it's really important to have these data sources or we have really no way of gauging what's a fair price. We can say, okay, well, that that truck is worth X dollars to me, I, I guess. I'm going to, maybe it's my work truck and I'm willing to spend X dollars on a work truck. But then you have to look at the market. What is the market willing to sell that to you for? And so that's why these data sources are so important. Next up on our list, Nancy, is COBRA. Oh, this is interesting because this stands for something that doesn't even relate to what it is. It stands for the Consolidated Omnibus Budget Reconciliation Act of 1985. But it's really important. Wow. And it's important because... Uh, we're the only developed country where our health insurance is attached to our employment. And there's a history with that. Um, back in World War II, when there was a freeze on wages and there was a tight labor market, which is what we're experiencing right now, then employers started to offer benefits. And that's where health insurance connected to our employment came about. So what do you do if you lose your job? COBRA is a way to bridge the gap. And so you can have the same coverage for you and your family for at least 18 months. You're going to have to pay for it um, at whatever the going rate is. But that gives you that option to still have a continuation of your health insurance coverage until you land with another employer. All right. Next on the list, uh, drip. Ryder, I know that's a way to make coffee, but I'm guessing it means something else. Uh, also. Yes. So we're talking about coffee making. Uh, I like a good pour over coffee and I'm watching it drip through. Um, so a drip is a dividend reinvestment plan. And it's kind of fun, this acronym, because you can kind of think of it as you buy a stock and then your money just kind of drips in and you buy some more. So a dividend reinvestment plan is, is simply when you set up a plan to whenever your stock issues a dividend, you just buy more shares. And so there's nothing too spectacular about that on the surface. Any brokerage account you have, you can buy any American stock like we've been talking about. And many of those stocks will issue dividends. And you can, most brokerages will allow you to automatically purchase more shares with that dividend. And then you can buy it in fractional shares, which they're kind of a figment of everybody imagination, but we're really okay with it. So say you buy 100 shares of something, they issue a dividend that's 2% or works out to 2% of the value of the shares, you end up buying about two more shares. If it's 1.5%, you buy about 1.5 shares. And, and so that's fine and great. But one of the fun things is, and why these were very popular in the past, is you used to it used to be more common to buy shares directly with what's called a transfer agent. And this is as close as it comes to buying shares directly 
directly from the company. The transfer agent is the company that manages, keeps a list of who all owns this these shares, who all owns the company's shares. So you can buy them directly with the transfer agent. And some companies would have it set up where if you had purchased it through the transfer agent, you could reinvest dividends at a discount. And so... It would be a very minor discount, but it was a nice reward for folks who did own it directly. And just the nature of owning it directly through the transfer agent, people tended to hold those for a long time. So uh, it's it's really fun sometimes to see somebody who did own something through a dividend reinvestment plan. And you see they've owned this since the 80s, and they've reinvested, and it's grown so much just because the power of them leaving it there, they didn't move it around with their other uh, other accounts. And it reinvested, and each of those reinvested shares also continued to grow, and they reinvested the dividends that came from those shares, and that's that compounding effect. So that's kind of fun uh, to see that. Yeah, it's a great way to build a good position in a stock, uh, and it's we've seen it used a lot with uh, opening accounts for children mm-hmm. and buying a stock for them that they know what the company is, like uh, your example, Coca-Cola, mm-hmm. and uh, and building a position. But of course, you have to have a stock that actually pays a dividend. Right. If it's not paying dividends, you know, it's just a I don't know. It's just a rip. I don't know. <laughs> I guess you hope it's going to rip. Is the idea also buying through transfer agents that. That used to be kind of the way you got certificates. Uh, of course, now nobody really does certificates. You can you can buy one from the transfer agent, but they're kind of expensive, so it's that's kind of going away. R.I.P. We're discussing financial vocabulary today. Do you know where the term check comes from, as used in the sentence, does anybody send a check to the IRS anymore? We'll have that for you next. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. You can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. Money Talks is MPB Think Radio's personal finance broadcast. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Bottridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. They're both chartered financial analysts. Ryder holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. According to Merriam-Webster.com, the term check, which refers to something that's used for verifying accuracy, authenticity, correctness, uh, or correctness, began as a detachable stub like a claim check. Check was 
first applied to the detachable stub in the early 18th century, and then to the bank draft, the written order directing a bank to pay money as instructed. So we're learning financial vocabulary that's good to know, and the next one on our list is escrow. Who wants to grab that one? Why don't we go with you, Nancy? Oh, that's an exciting one, isn't it? <laughs> um, so uh, if you have a mortgage, you are familiar with escrow. So the escrow account is going to hold, for most mortgage holders, there are other ways of using escrow accounts, but they will usually um, then collect funds to cover your property tax and your homeowner's insurance, which is a once-a-year charge for each of those. And then they will add that into your monthly payment. And if they get to the end of the year and there's not enough, then they're going to recalculate your monthly payment. So when you have um, negotiated a mortgage and it's a fixed-rate mortgage, the actual payment for the principal and interest of the mortgage company will stay the same through the life of the mortgage. But your monthly payment may change simply because your insurance or property tax changes along the way. And uh, again, if you have uh, some that's uh, missing and they are, don't have enough money to make the payments, they're going to have to make it up the next year. So you may see a big jump in that payment simply because of those expenses. I have a fun escrow story to share that uh, when I bought my house, my parents uh, helped me finance it. So in, at the, when originally they were on the uh, co-owners on the deed. Well, <clears throat> later on, they decided they didn't want to be on there anymore. And uh, I think that they were gonna, we were going to have to refinance or something. Well, anyway, my dad really didn't like that. So he said, well, we'll just loan you the money that you can then pay off the mortgage and then you'll pay us back. Well, that worked really well. But then it comes around the next year and I get these bills for, you know, property time. And I'm like, wait, 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 wait. Where did all this come from? So it's like, oh, yeah. So they didn't provide the same services that your uh, traditional mortgage servicer was doing. That's right. The parents did not have the escrow built into the payment. Yeah. And so uh, speaking of our other shows, in legal terms, escrow escrow is used a lot of times in the legal world. It's anytime someone is, is holding money on your behalf to, to help with things. So, so that's a kind of more general version. And, and let me also go back because a lot of the people that we work with uh, are retired and many people who are retiring, they think about, I want to pay off my house. And uh, they have to understand that once you do that, you're not still living there for free. You have to make <laughs> sure you account for those annual uh, property tax charges mm -hmm. and insurance charges that are going to hit you. On Money Talks today, we're learning financial vocabulary that's good to know. And next up on our list, Ryder, this is a mouthful, joint tenancy with right of survivorship versus tenancy in common. Yes, so these are two different ways you can own an account, a financial account, or, or own any real property as well. So um, houses, houses or brokerage accounts, that's the main places you see them. Uh, joint tenancy with rights of survivorship is when this is this is allowed in Mississippi. This is very standard in Mississippi. It's when, say, a couple, they own a bank account together, and if one of them were to die, the other one would become the owner automatically. It kind of doesn't really matter what everything else says. The way the account is structured one becomes the owner in the event of the death. Uh, own, owner one becomes the only owner in the event of the death of owner two. And I, I don't think that's allowed in Louisiana, right? Correct. So there's several states which are uh, 
what is the word, community property states, which have tenancy in common. There's a handful of them. Louisiana is our nearest neighbor with this rule. And that is where they joint owners each own a part. So you can have, I can... (laughs) I can own something with Nancy and say, well, my part goes according to my will if I die. And Nancy says, well, my part goes according to my will when I die. So that's just a different structure. Oftentimes, again, if you're talking about a married couple, they will probably be in agreement on who it goes to in the event of their death. And they will probably say it goes to each other in the event of their death with contingent beneficiaries of, say, their children or their charities that they want to support. But that does does introduce a lot of interesting issues when those aren't in perfect alignment. So knowing the structure, knowing that ownership structure, right of survivorship versus tenancy in common, it's going to be very important and, of course, does depend on what is allowed in your state. We have got a caller on the line, so we're going to say good morning to Mike in Hernando. Good morning, Mike. You're on the air with us. Thanks, you guys. I have a question and I need your advice. Last year, I bought a very minimal amount of stock in an electric car, electric truck manufacturer that has dropped off the radar. And even the magazines don't talk about them anymore. And I contacted them and said, well, how's my stock? Are you still viable? Are you still in business? And I got this reassuring return. But I have no way of accessing my account. They told me I could if I went online to such and such. But it doesn't go anywhere. What should I do at this point? So where did you purchase it? I'm guessing you did not just buy it through your brokerage account. You may have gone to a specific site where they were that they were using to raise money. That I did. Yeah, the manufacturer themselves. Ah, uh, um that's tough. Uh, so so there are a lot of companies that are kind of semi-private. There's a lot more platforms that have opened up so that people can invest directly with companies. And this is akin to what I was talking about earlier, have, have, investing directly with the transfer agent. So this uh-huh. if... If, oh, Ryder, this sounds like it could be a private deal versus a public deal. Correct. Well, it may be technically public in the sense that they... Uh, do offer themselves to the general public but do not have the do not have enough investors that they are required to be required to maintain all of their current filings with the SEC so that is one place to check if they are large enough they if they are filing with the SEC that is one place to check for information about them particularly if you're concerned that maybe they're not a, a going concern anymore uh, there may be some okay. filings there or some evidence there uh, but essentially if you don't have enough investors you're not required to do that in the u.s and of course if you don't have enough investors you're not large enough you're not going to be traded on an exchange so you may still be public even though it's very difficult to access information one thing about these deals is that it may be there may be no active market so again that's the benefit of being listed on a stock exchange there's an active market everyone knows where the new york stock exchange is everyone knows how to get to it everyone knows how to access it with these not being listed on an active market you kind of are at the whim of the transfer agent or a very specialized broker being able to find somebody to buy that from you but it just depends on my next question would it 
is it difficult for me to get rid of this stock? Yes. I mean, what do I do now? Yeah, it's, it's going to be very difficult for you to get rid of that stock. Yeah, it does not um, sound like there's an active market for it. Yeah, if it's okay, not worth it. anything and you can't do anything with it, I would say talk to your accountant. There's a way for you to uh, declare it worthless and get the loss. At least do that. Oh, yeah. And I would say, okay. though, if it's only – it's been less than a year that you've owned this, it, it, they may still be trying. It may still be something. Just because it's not trading Hope doesn't – right? doesn't – right. I mean, it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't mean it's worthless just because it's not trading. If the company is uh-huh. still operating, if the company does still exist, then you still do have some ownership of that. And so if they've direct, directed you to a website, site or a, a company who is handling the transfer of shares then that's your best uh-huh. that's your best bet for just finding information on what are my shares worth what can i do with them i can i sell them can i move them etc they're in california is there a way i can contact uh, california uh, in california find out is this company still running possibly um most businesses are regulated. A lot of businesses are regulated by their the state's secretary of state. I don't know if they have any other regulators you could contact about that. But again, to find share specific information, it's going to be through whatever transfer agent or whatever platform the company uh, has used. I got you. Okay. Well, thank you for that info. I mean, it was not a huge investment, sure. but it, you know, it's a startup company. Mm-hmm. They showed a prototype and everything, and I'm like, well, it looks legit. <laughs> yeah. Well, All good right. luck. Thanks for the call, Mike. This, Thank you, guys. Uh-huh. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. We've got some open phone lines. If you have a financial vocabulary term that you're unfamiliar with or a personal finance question, you can call us at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 You can always email us as well. It's money at mpbonline.org. The next one on our list, Nancy, liability. Oh, gosh. Well, that's just responsibility. And um, if you are liable, you are responsible for any damages. Of course, that means paying someone. Um, So that means any kind of property you have, you have to consider if someone gets hurt on your property, if you hurt someone driving a car um, in your business, you also have some liability. So that's where insurance really comes into play for a lot of people. They look at, well, what kind of liability can I afford to pay for myself? If something happens, can I take on that risk? Can I write that check? Um, or do I need some additional protection to cover those things? And that's what insurance does. So that's where you look at property insurance to help you with any kind of liability, auto insurance to help with any kind of liability, business insurance for any kind of liability there. So really looking at your total life and all of your assets and how do you protect those things and where could you have some risk, where could you have some responsibility to cover payments when there is damage done? We're talking about financial vocabulary. Where did we get the term blue chip stock from? We'll have that information for you next. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio.
Hi, I'm Jason Klein from Fix It 101. If you ever thought about changing the doorknob or fixing a leaky faucet, some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. We're glad you found our show, Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, President of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. And here's a program reminder. Tuesdays at 10 a.m., listen live to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio immediately following our show. So from MiriamWebster.com, the term as applied to the stock market derives from the actual use of blue chips in another type of game of stakes, poker. This quote from an 1874 edition of the San Francisco Chronicle nicely connects the two. It says, if times are good and the market's flourishing, the game may be played with blue chips, as a gambler would say, the very high-priced stocks being the favorites. Blue chips and poker have the highest value, with red and white chips as lower denominations. I didn't, never knew that. Did anyone take to calling smaller stocks red, <laughs> red chips? I don't know if that. Or white well, chips. That's and, a, and understand the, the or, stocks that we used to think of blue chip stocks, that changes through the years as uh, we see the, the lead being taken by different companies. All right. We've got a caller on the line, so we say good morning to Ruby in Fayette. Ruby, you're on the air with us, so go ahead. Hi. Good morning. I um lived in Louisiana for a long time, but I am staying in Mississippi now, and I purchased my first home before I got married. So did the, if I get a divorce, how would they determine who the home belongs to? Oh, boy, this is a tough one. Um, And the home that you purchased, did you purchase that in Louisiana or Mississippi? It's in Mississippi. I, I know a little bit about common law, but I'm not sure too much about Mississippi. Okay. This is really probably a a conversation you need to have with an attorney because it depends on how the house is registered. Is it registered to you? And, and again, ownership goes by state, so Mississippi will recognize a single owner if it's in the registration, so if it lists you as the single owner. Mm -hmm. Now, there is some complication if, if you have had someone living in the house with you that and they have been participating in making payments on the house or upkeep on the house, they may have some rights to ownership there. So you do need to consult with an attorney on what would happen in that case. Okay, thank you. And, and that's a good example to highlight the difference between tenants in common and rights of survivorship. Uh, in community property states, then when you're married, you have less of your own uh, property rights. Things that you acquire before marriage can be continue to be considered your own property. But again, like Nancy mentioned, there are some ways that your spouse can kind of gain ownership rights to that if if it ever moves into joint name or if it is ever for other purposes considered to be jointly owned whereas uh, in a non-community property state you you can have essentially your own you're allowed your own property um and so that's that's an interesting way to highlight that all right thank you so much Thanks, Ruby, for your call. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. We've been talking today about uh, financial vocabulary, and we've come to your next word, writer, load. So we're talking here about uh, a commission. And it used to be that mutual funds were sold by commissioned agents. And 
they would receive a percentage of the total sale, and that was a primary way they got paid. Uh, so there would be a load. You call it a front load if it was, say, very typical is about a 5% commission on the sale of a mutual fund. There are also back loads where maybe when the person moves out of the fund, there's a commission on that it's just to kind of slightly discourage them from trading out of it. And there could be different ways of structuring that compensation. You also see loads in insurance policy, again, a front-end commission, but typically... The important thing about a, a load commission is that the the buyer pays it. So it's 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 not just a commission that the broker gets for making the trade and, and their brokerage company is paying them, but it is something that is paid by the buyer. So if you have a, a fund that has a 5% load and you go try to buy $100 of it, then they will take your $100, they will keep five, and they will give you $95 worth of mutual fund. And uh, thank goodness that practice is, is it's a lot easier to avoid these days. It's not necessarily the the worst thing, but it, it created bad incentives, and it was generally generally a high fee uh, on those funds. And those are expenses of investing that every investor should make sure they understand mm -hmm. what they're paying. So read the fine print. Uh, I've had people come in my office and say, well, you know, this guy sold this to me, and I didn't pay anything for it. Mm -hmm. uh, let's look at what you did pay, and that's when you start to see that. And they are required and, to tell you that. And let's look at who paid them to give you that advice, importantly. All right. Uh, next on our list, non-marital agreement, Nancy. Oh, my goodness. We didn't have these in my day, Kevin. You know, We were just all married <laughs> <That's> <laughs> all right. the time. We were married. And all this <laughs> that's going on right now. Well, people are living together without the uh, convention of marriage, and marriage does offer some legal protections. So if you are cohabiting, you might want to have a non-marital agreement that sets out what would happen if something happened to one person um, uh, and who has ownership of things. And so it is a, an agreement typically between people who are living together but who are not officially married. Yeah, and this could be extended to any sort of joint ownership that is not sure. is not yeah. in a marriage because because marriage offers some specific legal protections and some specific legal guidance for who owns it, just like our previous caller uh, highlighted. Uh, whereas if you're not married, you really do need to have some sort of agreement, some sort of document defining that ownership, what happens. So we're talking about then when the cohabitation dissolves, either through maybe one person dying or just or splitting just, up. Yeah, absolutely, right. absolutely. Yeah. yeah, who 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 gets what? For instance, a jointly owned account in a marriage is very clear what happens there. Uh, but if it's two people who just have a bank account together, well, what happens when they just don't want to have that bank? Account? Who gets what? All right, Ryder, I'm going to put you on the spot. We've only got about like a minute and a half left, and we have one last term to get to, and it's the difference between term life insurance versus whole life insurance. <laughs> the last, yeah, the last term is term life insurance. So whole life insurance. Okay, back up. Life insurance. It protects your uh, people who depend on you in the event that you die, right? If people depend on you for income, then life insurance gives them money in the event of your death. Whole life insurance, as the name implies, covers your 
whole life. There's one thing that is guaranteed to happen in your life besides taxes, and it is your death. So whole life insurance, you pretty much have to pay the whole cost of it over the life of that, over the life of your life. And so term, and so it, typically it ends up being very expensive. There can be there can be some bells and whistles there, but the cost of insurance itself over the entire period is is really the cost of the benefit ultimately. Term life is, has a defined term. For somebody who's say 40 years old, there's a very low chance that they die in the next 10 or 15 years. And so it's very inexpensive to provide insurance for that next 10 or 15 years. And if that 10 or 15 years that they have coming up is the the time when they have children who are depending on them for income, they have a spouse who's depending on them for income, then that is the term, that is the period they need to cover. So a term life policy has a defined uh, number of years it covers you for. It has a defined value that it covers you for, and that's it. Once it run, once you've hit that number of years, then it's over. Congratulations, you didn't die, and that's the great thing there. All right, perfect. We are right out of time. Money Talks is a production of MPB Think Radio, funded in part by generous financial support from listeners. To hear today's show or a previous show, you can visit moneytalks.mpbonline.org or listen to the podcast by searching for Money Talks on your favorite podcasting app. Our show is produced by Liz Gill, and our call screener today was Java Chapman. So for Dr. Nancy Lottridge-Anderson and Ryder Taff, I'm Kevin Farrell. Join us every Tuesday at 9 a.m. for Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. podcast.